Starting up episode number 215 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Super Constellation from the album Red Triangle. It's from the band Mr. Neutron. Look them up on Amazon or Facebook. When you're done listening to this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. Now, you're going to be able to hear this song in its entirety at the end of this episode. Mr. Neutron gave us permission to play the song on this show. So big thanks to them and big thanks to you for downloading this episode. So you can learn a little bit about another horror host. We're going to be speaking with Michael Leggy this week on Monster Kid Radio. Michael Leggy is a filmmaker. He's a horror host. And he's a hell of a nice guy. He took some time out of his day to talk with us here on Monster Kid Radio. Now, in this episode, we're going to introduce you to Michael Ledgy and everything that he's got going on. The man's a filmmaker, and he sent me a couple of his movies, Evan Straw, which is this awesome, supernatural, low-budget, gorilla ghost stories about a haunted house with a twist, and I really enjoyed it. It's got a lot of heart and some solid performances. He also sent me the movie The Dungeon of Dr. Dreck and... Well, we'll mention that briefly while we're chatting with Michael later on in this episode. After chatting with Michael, we're going to talk a little bit more about Barbara Steele because she is one of the announced guests at the very first Living Dead Horror Convention here in Portland, Oregon, happening in November. So we're going to do that after we talk to Michael after this. the bright lights, the innocent pleasures, there lies another world, the sinister world of Dr. Diablo. The real torture gun, it is not for the faint of heart. What you find there will be more terrifying, more horrendous than your deepest, darkest dream. Who has the courage to try it? You, Jack Palance. Have you the courage to face what the fates have in store for you? You, Burgess Meredith, as the devil incarnate. What horror will you next reveal? You, Beverly Adams, what lies beyond your dreams to bedevil your future? The Torture Garden. Many people walk the length of its terror. No. This is the writer who shields the secrets of immortality. Did you know that there are ways to raise the dead? The rich man who'd sooner part with his life than his wealth. The money. The torture garden. It's where the devil calls the tune to play a concerto of fear. There's a man out there with, with his head all... Oh. Ah! 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 
See, I promised you horror, and I intend to keep that promise. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer, that 1972 blaxploitation film starring Fred Williams, love that movie. Hammer! This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Better not be the 2003 flick starring Adam Goldberg, you know, the Hebrew Hammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Just three years ago, the Joy Cinema and Pub in Tigard, Oregon, stood on the brink of closing down for good. With 35mm film going away, the only option for survival was to make the expensive conversion to digital projection. Now, while many theater owners saw only the expense, the team at the Joy saw the possibilities. They saw that the Joy needed passion and personality, and they believed that couples and families should be able to see a movie without spending a fortune. Today... The Joy is a viable business once again and a vital part of life in the Tigard and podcasting community. But now, with a significant increase in rent looming, the team at The Joy is turning to the community to help pay off digital projection and opening costs once and for all. We all know that asking for contributions isn't easy. The Joy's owners have been paying down these costs since opening, but becoming debt-free is the one way The Joy is sure to stay in business for years to come. With this campaign and with your help, the Joy Cinema hopes to raise $50,000. The Joy Cinema and Pub in Tigard, Oregon is important to me, Derek M. Cook, because the man who runs the show there, Jeff Punk Rock Martin, loves the kinds of movies that I love, so much so that he's always bringing in classic and sometimes not so classic monster movies. Of all the theaters that I've gone to for a Monster Kid Radio crash, the Joy Cinema is the one that we've gone to the most. Jeff has asked me to introduce several films there in the past. Every time I go, even if I'm not getting up on stage and talking about the movie that we're about to watch, I always have a really good time. And I'm not just talking about watching the movie. I'm talking about the entire movie-going experience, up to and including chatting with Jeff before the film, or maybe even sneaking out to refill at the concession stand and talking to him a little bit more about whatever movie we're watching, whatever monster movie posters he has on the wall, whatever. Jeff's a good guy. The Joy Cinema's a great theater, and I want to see it succeed. The Indiegogo campaign ends next month. There are several amazing rewards available for contributing to the Indiegogo campaign, starting with a heartfelt thanks and ending with what they're calling the lifer a lifetime pass for free admission. Now, I know that people who listen to this podcast aren't necessarily in the Tigard, Oregon area. So you might be asking yourself, what's in it 
for you? Well, one, you get to help an amazing local business keep running and fighting the good fight and showing monster movies on a regular basis. And depending on what podcast you're listening to right now, 1951 Down Place is the Hammer Films podcast I co-produce with Casey Criswell and Scott Morris. The Joy Cinema has shown some Hammer Films during their Weird Wednesday series. If you're listening to this on the Mimiverse Monthly, well, the Joy Cinema has screened The Giant Spider. In fact, The Giant Spider had its Pacific Northwest premiere at The Joy, and I'm talking with Jeff about bringing in some other Christopher R. Mim movies in the future. The bottom line is this. The Joy Cinema, they're one of the good guys. They could use our help. You can learn about them at their website, thejoycinema.com, or go to indiegogo.com and just do a search for Joy Cinema. Monster Kid Radio listeners, we've had Dr. Gain Green on the show. We even had Mr. Lobo on the show for a moment. I wanted to add another horror host to the Monster Kid Radio guest collection. And I thought we'd bring the man who portrays Dr. Dreck to the show, Michael Leggy. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio. Oh, happy to be here. Happy to be anywhere. Good point. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> uh, so Michael was introduced to me kind of sort of through Dwight Kemper, another person who's been on the show. And I've been watching a lot of his horror-hosted movies, a couple of movies and films that he's directed. Michael, what came first? Movie maker, horror host, or Monster Kid? Monster Kid. I'm... Uh old. <laughs> well, I'm kind of old. I'm, uh, I grew up in the 50s and 60s okay. here in Massachusetts. And uh, during the 60s, of course, we had the big resurgence of the you know shock theater stuff and monster uh, classic movies on TV. So I grew up watching everything, the universal classics, the stuff from the 50s, uh, the allied artists movies and the American international ones, science fiction things. And I just grew up loving it. I was con- we had three drive-ins in this area, and of course oh, wow. a couple of movie uh, houses. And as a little kid, I was there. I was lucky enough to be around for the re-releases of some really great films that I got to see in the theater. Like I saw Forbidden Planet in the theater, War of the Worlds. Uh, I Married a Monster from Outer Space, Kronos. I saw a lot of things in the theater. Yeah, it was really something. Uh, a lot of sometimes stuff on uh, their first run. I saw the uh, Dracula Prince of Darkness. Speaking of good old Christopher Lee, who just passed, and uh, that was on the double bill with the Plague of the Zombies. And <laughs> they gave you cardboard fangs and cardboard zombie eyes when you drove in. So I wish I still had them, but I don't. Oh man, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's yeah. got them on eBay for way too much money. I know. I, I, there was a few good stuff. Good stuff they used to do about a handout. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Torture Garden. I am vaguely. That was in one of those anthology movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, had Peter Cushing in it actually, and uh, they gave you a little package of seeds when you uh, came in, which <laughs> I still have. It, it's really cool. It's a little package of brass seed, basically. Uh, it says Torture Garden on it with a skull and crossbones. Oh, it's really cool. That's awesome. That's a great idea. I love it. The most unique thing I ever got, I saw the H-Man in the theater. Oh, wow. And they gave out these little, they looked like flat little cardboard human-shaped people with H-Man on it. And we discovered when you got home, if you dropped them in water, it was really a sponge and it expanded. <laughs> so they used to, I love the giveaways they used to have. They don't do that anymore, I don't think. Now, I don't think I've seen anything like that lately. Every once in a while, maybe at a convention, you'll see somebody giving out some promotional items, but yeah. nothing at the theater. And that, that's too bad because that 
just makes it even more special. Yeah, especially if you have enough brains to hang on to it. But well, there, there, there is that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I, three drive-ins in your area. I'm trying to imagine how magical that would have been. I'm lucky when I'm able to get down to the local theater doing one of their weird Wednesday showings and you know catch an old public domain film. But Man, three drive-ins. Wow. Yeah. I have seen one spook show in my memory. Uh, I can't remember the movie that was there, but I do remember the stage show and the guys coming out with the monster masks and stuff and oh, going wow. through the audience. It must have been in the late 50s, I think. So for listeners who don't know, a spook show was more than just a film. Uh, Michael was just talking about people on stage and people in masks. There'd be a magician sometimes, or most of the time, really, doing yeah. a little bit of a stage show. They'd bring in a monster movie of some sort. I think Bela Lugosi did a couple, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I did more than a few, as far as I know. Yeah. Which is kind of too bad, because it was the only way you could get money, I think, at the time. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about Bela here in a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, even if it was the only thing he could get to do work-wise, I'm sure fans ate it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if he had been around here, the closest he had been around here was in Boston, but I was way too young to, you know, get near him. I forgot what he was doing, but I did meet somebody that actually saw him in Boston. So yeah, that would have been cool to see. Oh, man. Yeah, I've never been to a spook show. I, I've talked to a local movie theater here about maybe doing something similar. I'm sure it wouldn't be the same because it's, you know, it's a modern audience, but still, what an amazing time. Yes, I think you can see uh, they're like the uh, kind of like a trailer for them on uh, line some in some places where mm-hmm. they're seeing the spook show and gives you a little bit of a taste of what it was like. But there's a DVD release of Monsters Crash the Pajama Party that has yes, a lot of material on it. Yes, yes I've seen that. Yeah. It's so scary. We dare you to see the Monsters Crash the Pajama Party, the first movie ever filmed in Hollywood's latest miracle, fantastic horror vision. You'll be petrified as fiendish movie monsters actually become alive, then crash right out of the screen, run into the audience, and carry screaming girls from their seats right back into the picture to become part of the movie, never to be seen alive again. They might choose you. We warn you, this is not 3D. The movie monsters actually become real flesh and blood. See what happens when the Pajama Party Girls meet the Mad Doctor's girl-crazed monsters. 1,001 exciting scenes, on screen and right in the audience alive. All in the world's weirdest movie, The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party, in horror vision and color. So you grew up watching these monster movies, and it sounds like you've been a lifelong fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Famous monsters, of course, in Castle Frankenstein magazine. It's funny, it's... (laughs) I can remember the very first issue of Famous Monsters that I saw on the stand. It sticks in your memory, you know, like losing your virginity. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the uh, cover with the uh, Colossal Beast on it, you know, with the one eye missing. Oh, nice. Okay. I think it was about 1960, something like that. It's the first one I ever saw. And I always remember, I still have that issue. Oh, so, wow. That's a prized possession. Oh, certainly. We never forget your first, I guess, right? <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> For better or worse, I guess. So you grew up a monster kid, and then I mentioned two other things here, monster movie maker and horror host. So what came next, making movies or being a horror host for you? Making movies. Okay. Uh, back in the 60s again. Like, I'm always sounding so old. You don't actually sound old to me. I'm just, <laughs> for what it's worth, maybe it's just yeah. too early in the morning for me, but I, I think you're doing all right. Yeah. Well, you can't see the bags out of my eyes, so I sound younger. Oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
back in the days when they had home movies of 8mm and Super 8mm, you know, film with sprocket holes in it and stuff like that, I started making uh, movies just for fun, like any kid did in those days. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess, uh, what's his name, Don Gallet used to do that. When oh, he, yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of his stuff. So, you know, things similar to that. But as time went on, I got more serious about making films and... By the time it was the late 80s, 1980s, I started making feature films, mostly comedy. I'm really a, a comedy filmmaker. Uh, Evan Starr is an anomaly because that one was fairly serious. But I love the genre of fantasy, and I always kind of uh, intermix it with my movies. The first movie that is released was, I think I mentioned to you, was called Working Stiffs. It was a zombie movie, but it was about zombies the way they were originally conceived as slaves. So I have a temporary agency company that has zombies that they hire out. You know, they don't have to pay them or feed them or anything. So <laughs> that's what they used for their uh, uh, workforce. So that was the first thing that I did. And that was 1988, I think. And the first uh, three or four movies I made were actually on film film. I went to video for a while and now I'm on digital. And God, I've been doing this for a long time. The movies you saw were shot on digital. Those are the newer, newer mm -hmm. ones. Evan Straw and the Dungeon of Dr. Drek movie. I, I want to tell you about Evan Straw. And I've told you privately, but I want to say it on the show. I really enjoyed Evan Straw a lot. Now, having watched your horror host segments and Dr. Drek, and, and I mean, I, I can confirm, yes, I can see the comedy. I can see that influence. But Evan Straw... Even though it's an anomaly for you, I think was a very solid piece of filmmaking. So, kudos, man. Congrats. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Probably realized that the uh, lead woman in that was Moner. Mm -hmm. from <laughs> oh, and she was fantastic. Oh, yeah. She was really, really good. I mean, only having seen her as the sidekick in the Dr. Drek show, I was blown away by the range of her acting. I thought it was really good. Well, both of us have been involved in theater for a long time. Yeah. Actually, a lot of the people that I use are, are uh, theater people. Yeah, she was fantastic in that. She's funny on, on Dr. Drek because she really hates to ad-lib, and I usually ad-lib the shows. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of annoys her, but she's gotten used to it, I think. <laughs> and she is your girlfriend in real life? Yes. And, and her name again, she's Boner in the show, but her name? Lorna Nagera. And she's fan. Please pass on to her that I really enjoyed her performance in Evans Raw, would you? I would. Yeah, that's, it was really good. I enjoyed that. But then we're talking about the comedy influence, and I can certainly see that. I don't think anybody can you know, be a horror host without enjoying a little bit of comedy. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand, right? Yeah, there's, there's kind of a thin line between them. So, Well, I don't know. Did you, I don't know if you saw the actual Dungeon of Dr. Drake movie yet. but um, I did. You did? Okay, I so did. you know that... I was taking as many influences as I could and mixing them all in the same movie um, between everything. The uh, beginning reference, of course, to Night of the Living Dead and the spook specs and uh, all that stuff. I thought that, that was great. So Evan Straw is this serious you know, paranormal ghost story. But the Dungeon of Dr. Drek is basically a comedic telling of the origin of your horror host show. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's... I mean, they're, they're night and day, totally different. I enjoyed both of them for different reasons. As a horror host, when did you start hosting? 2004. Okay. I think 11 years now or so. Wow, well, congratulations. Never expected that. So, I mean, do you remember the first movie you hosted? Voodoo Man. Hello, yes, listen. 
young doe just left here alone. Don't be frightened. We won't hurt you. Let me out. I'm afraid that is quite impossible. I need you. You need me? Yes. Impossible. Nice. Lugosi, yeah, yeah. Wow. Actually, I would thank the magazine, Scary Monsters, for getting me into horror host. Okay. I was a regular reader, still am. And for a while, I had been reading about the other horror hosts starting to use public access stations, you know, to show public domain movies. So initially, I was thinking, oh, that's cool. Somebody's reviving the genre, because I used to love it here when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And then it just hit me, you know, that looks like fun. Why don't I try it for a little while? <laughs> and, you know, I got permission from our uh, local show. I don't film it there, though. I actually shoot in my own house in the basement. Okay. And 11 years later, I'm still doing it. We ended up loving it so much that we just keep doing it. Well, starting with Voodoo Man. So many people start with Night of the Living Dead or White Zombie, you know, the big ones. But Voodoo Man, that's a great film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I'm more inclined to show the really old stuff. Yeah. Stuff from the 30s and 40s, which I think I kind of ignored or... Just people don't know. I, I feel like an archaeologist sometimes, uh, digging up a lot of movies that uh, people probably haven't seen. Uh, my show's usually on Creepy Castle a lot every week mm-hmm. on Saturdays, and uh, they have said to me, too, that uh, what they like most about the, the direct show is that I show movies nobody else is showing, and uh, it's usually because they're old and obscure, Yeah, but that doesn't mean they're bad. No, not at all. And yeah. I, I love that you use the word archaeologist because I think – as fans doing any kind of work, quote-unquote work, because we're not getting paid, but any kind of work <laughs> with this genre, the, the subgenre of classic horror, it really is like an adventure just to find the movie or learn about it or present it or talk about it on a podcast. or you know, It's really kind of a quest, I think, sometimes with these films, and that, to me, makes it even more enjoyable. Yeah, and of course, I, I have a real empathy for anybody that makes movies fast and cheap. <laughs> so, well, I mentioned it in the direct movie, when any of them come out to be halfway decent, that's, that's a minor miracle. Right. They had to do them fast. They weren't making great art. They knew it. You know, they were making fun. They were making fun, and they were trying to make a buck. Yeah, it was fun movies, and all, you know, they knew it. They knew what they were doing. Yeah, there's something. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually should give a shout-out to the series of Forgotten Horrors books. Oh, man, those are great. That's been extremely helpful to me, finding stuff uh, that I never heard of, and then I can track it down. It says, oh, that sounds interesting. Because there's lots of borderline stuff that I show, mysteries, and uh, there's a couple of weird westerns that I haven't shown yet that I'm going to. Oh, wow. Because after a while, there's only a, like this limited amount of public domain, pure horror or pure science fiction movies. Right. So after that, we either just show them over and over, or you try to expand your horizons a little bit. So I expanded it to uh, like more spooky types of mysteries, not straight crime movies or anything, but um, something that's got some unusual element to it I like to include now so that I can keep going here. Well, I mean, after 11 years, I mean, <laughs> you can only work your way through that Mill Creek box set so many times. <laughs> yeah. I've only done each movie once so far, so <laughs> I, I try not to repeat myself. The uh, Forgotten Horrors books are fantastic. Uh, do you listen to their podcast? Yes, yes. Um, it's good work. I, uh, I've been an avid uh, collector of their uh, volumes for years. And, uh, they have the same attitude that I have, and I think Bill Warren has. You know, they wrote Keep Watching the Skies. Yeah. 
kind of uh, a resentment against the kind of snark generation that's developed that uh, all these movies are bad and they just automatically are bad without even seeing them. And I resent that because I, I really like them. I love them with warts and all. And I can appreciate the work that went into them. And it's, it's very easy to sit around and make cheap shots, but it's difficult to make a movie if, of any type. I'm kind of side with them when it comes to that sort of thing. You know, people who know my background knew that I thought I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up. I, I did some student films, that sort of thing. So I have that same kind of uh, empathy when I sit down and watch a bad movie, quote-unquote bad movie. I mean, I'll watch Manos and Hands of Fate straight. I yeah. have no problem with that. So, I mean, I, I do uh, kind of side with you there as well. I feel a kinship, my friend. <laughs> yeah, really, it is. It is. Even Even when I do have a movie on, which I can obviously judge that this isn't a good movie. But I, I can turn it around and kind of make fun of myself, too, because we just showed The uh, Creeping Terra, which is the famous movie that doesn't have a soundtrack. Ah, uh, yes. So in the first segment, me and Stu, my rat, are making fun of the movie because of the stupidity of losing your soundtrack. And then, of course, during our show, we lose our sound. <laughs> so then somebody's narrating what we're saying to the audience. So uh, I just like to turn it around that nobody's safe, you know. <laughs> I love that. I need to, I need to check that one out. Now, can people see your show online or outside of Creepy Castle? Are there DVDs for sale or anything like that? I have quite a list of the DVDs as on demand at my personal website, which is sideshowcinema.weebly.com. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. And there is a whole list of shows that you can buy on the cheap. Really, I'm not looking to make tons of money. It's a good thing because you're in the wrong business. Then, so. I'm in the wrong business. For that. <laughs> but Creepy Castle shows us our home station here, abmi8.org, does the live stream of our show on the weekends. Okay. And to tell you the truth, you live in Portland? Pretty much, yeah. We have a lot of fans in Portland, Oregon, that watch it on that public access station. I think it's Pop 25 or something. Because we have a distributor called Peg Media, which you may have heard of. They distribute uh, television shows nationally of public access shows. So Dr. Direct is distributed to def different stations that want them. That, you know, we'll download them and show them on their public access shows. So I get a lot of fan mail from Portland, Oregon. <laughs> but, it, yeah, it depends where you are. Mm -hmm. It might be on your station. It might not. you got to look it up or you can watch it online. Sure, yeah. Now, Creepy Castle, I've done their radio show a couple of times. Dale and Halloween Jack are tireless in putting together their online show, and that's Creepy with a K and Castle with a K, yep. creepycastle.com. It's an amazing website. I spend way too much time there when I should be doing things, I don't know, like working. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just comforting to be working away and then have the stream of a horror-hosted classic movie in the lower right-hand corner. I don't even have to have the sound on. It's just comforting to have it there. <laughs> it's like video wallpaper. Exactly. Yeah, I've been on their show, too. Uh, I know those guys from a long way. Well, Halloween Jack's been around for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's too bad that I haven't actually personally met a lot of these people. I'd like to, but I'm telling the truth when I can't really afford to go running around. Sure. No, it's it's expensive sometimes being yeah. a monster kid and being a fan. I mean, I had to skip Monster Bash this year for it, so I understand. And it's even tougher when you hate airplanes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you're closer to Monster Bash than I am, so... <laughs> Yeah, I am a little bit, yeah. yeah so you, you could, you know, long card trip for you. Me, I have to fly. That said, you said you haven't really been to any conventions or met a lot of these people. You've had Penny Dreadful in your movies, at least. Well, she was in the Dreck movie, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, she did that little uh, horrible Hilda thing. Yep. And she had a larger part in Evan Straw. 
And uh, she's going to be actually in the movie I'm going to start making this year. Uh, oh, great. Science fiction and uh, satire called Planet Void. And it's a little bit of a turnaround on the old uh, Planet of Women movie. Because <laughs> usually, you know, it's the Planet of Women, beautiful women, and then some astronaut, male astronauts show up. And, of course, the women fall all over themselves. They want the men, you know, and all that. And kind of doing a, a different take on that. So it's going to be fun. Now, most of your movies are not Dr. Dreck stories. They're their own standalone pieces. But The Dungeon of Dr. Dreck, like I said, feels like the origin story of your horror host. Clearly, it's fiction. Right. Where did Dr. Dreck come from for real? Uh, well, when I decided to do a horror host, I said, well, now who the hell am I going to be? And one thing from seeing other horror hosts is, see, I hate makeup. Even though I'm in theater, I hate makeup. I hate putting on makeup. <laughs> yeah. So I saw elaborate makeups and all these guys and, and women, and I just said, you know, I don't want to get stuck doing that every week. So I tried to figure out something really simple. I said, well, mad scientist is pretty simple. You don't have to usually do a whole bunch of stuff. So I'll throw on an eye patch, and I'll mess up my hair, and I'll darken one of my eyes, and that'll be the extent of it. That's how Dr. Dreck came into being. And then uh, when I got Warner to do it, I gave her the name of Moner, and she figured out uh, the rest of the stuff. Uh, initially, there was the emphasis on her being a zombie cheerleader. I think she saw a um, Halloween costume that was that. Okay. And that uh, gave her a jumping off point. The first few shows we did, we didn't basically didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have our characters or anything. So it took us like a half a dozen shows to start figuring out what kind of characters we were. And then once we got into that and knew how we wanted to handle it, then it got a lot easier to do. Like I said, we never, I never thought <laughs> I'd be doing it 11 years later. It just seemed fun at the time, but we gathered a lot of people along the way. They're not really in the uh, Drek movie you saw, but you saw um, the Halloween show, I probably, right? The daughter of Dr. Jekyll? Yes. That had most of the cast in it. Madame Nicotina, who's the lousy psychic, and uh, <laughs> Uncle Mess, who's Dwight Kemper, and mm-hmm. Groner, who's uh, Mona's sister. That's Diane Mela. I think that, well, Stu and <laughs> Stu's the rat. That's actually my voice. I was going to ask you, so. <laughs> yeah. Shrunken Ed is my voice, too. I'm, I'm the puppeteer, too, at the same time. Okay. So we had a lot of uh, people that we've gathered along the way to take part in the show. We've joked a little bit, and we're being serious. There's not any money in horror hosting or anything like that. So why do you keep doing it after 11 years? Why do you still put on the eye patch? I think it's a double-sided thing. I love and respect the movies that I'm showing. Mm-hmm. And I try to give it a sense of fun, but I want you to seriously look at the movies, too, at the same time. I mean, I don't do commentary during it. I don't insert myself into them. That was the type of horror host I grew up watching that didn't interfere with the movies, to just show them and make your own judgment type of thing. So there's that, and of course there's the nostalgia of just being a horror host, which is some, something I loved when I was a kid. So it's like I get two benefits out of it that way. You are shown in your local area. I'm assuming you have a day job, and I mean you go out amongst people. Do people know you as Dr. Dreck? Well, actually, I'm retired. Oh, even better. Okay. But while I was working, I was doing the show, too. And strangely enough, um, my job, I was a postal worker. I was a clerk right in my own hometown. Okay. And a lot of times after the show was on for a few years, I'd have customers come up and they'd give me these odd looks. And every once in a while, they'd say, like, very sheepishly, are you Dr. Dreck? (laughs) 
I'd say, yes, I am. I didn't know whether to be embarrassed or happy, but I said, yes, I am. And I was finding out that people were watching me. And this is when we weren't going anywhere other than local. When we first started out, we were only in the local towns, like the surrounding towns. So it's before we branched out into the, you know, different states. It's kind of weird when you're recognized, if you've never been before, you know. Yeah. It's better than being stopped by the police, but it's... uh, (laughs) Although I admit that happened to me. I was stopped by a a state trooper, and he figured out I was Dr. Drug. (laughs) He let me go. (laughs) Nice. See, there you go. Horror hosting paid off for something, right? <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. See, there's a reason to get into being a horror host. You might get out of a speeding ticket. There you go. I should have a bumper sticker, horror host on board. Maybe they'll leave me alone. Oh, perfect. There you go. <laughs> you know, put something up on Zazzle or something, you know. Just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So if you were paying attention, you heard Michael and I talk about a particular type of movie that we really enjoy, the low-budget movies from the 30s and 40s, and that's what we're going to talk about here in a couple of days when we come back in episode 216, where Michael and I are going to talk about some Poverty Row horror films. That's going to be fun. I'm excited to share that conversation with everybody here in a couple of days. What can be said about Barbara Seale that hasn't already been said? If you go to her internet movie database listing, first thing off the bat, it tells you is that she is the most beautiful star of the greatest horror masterpiece of Italian film, Black Sunday. Now, we talked a little bit about Black Sunday last week. This time around, I want to talk briefly about a movie that she did in 1961 with the master, Vincent Price. The movie was The Pit and the Pendulum. This was my father's world, Mr. Barnett. The shrieking of mutilated victims became the music of his life. The blood of a thousand men and women was spilled within these walls. Limbs twisted and broken, flesh burned black. Starring Vincent Price, truly a master of the macabre. John Carr in a challenging role. Barbara Steele, more blood-chilling than in Black Sunday. And introducing taunting Luana Anders. Nicholas. Is that you? Elizabeth? While we were up here mourning her, she was alive. Struggling to be free. You are lying, sir. When Maria screamed, where were you? You lie! going to torture you, Isabella. I'm going to make you suffer for your faithlessness to me. <laughs> you harlot! All the violence of angry seas. The unseen forces of the unknown. The unforgettable memories of a long-forgotten childhood. All these you will feel in your very blood. Do you know where you are, Bartholomew? You are about to enter hell.
Angela may have been the only film that she shot in America. Most of her work was in Europe, but when it comes to the horror films, she really didn't do a lot over here in the States. That's okay, because the power of her performance, her intensity, her charisma carried across the pond. No problem. Barbara Seal is scheduled to be at this year's Living Dead Horror Convention here in Portland, Oregon. This is the first annual horror convention here in the Rose City. Head over to livingdeadcon.com to see who else is announced as being a guest at this show. Now, there's a lot of non-classic horror guests, and that's cool. There's something here for everybody because we've got Barbara Steele. There's also a very strong Twin Peaks presence, a Friday the 13th presence, and they just announced that horror artist Gary Pullen will be there as well. Again, head over to livingdeadcon.com to check out the entire guest list and see what's going on. Get yourself up to date with all the news about this amazing event happening November 13th through the 15th in the Oregon Convention Center here in Portland, Oregon. I know I'm going to be there. I'm going to be hard to miss. I'll be the big guy with the Monster Kid Radio shirt who looks like he's having the most fun in the room, especially if I'm in line to meet Barbara Steele. I mean, come on. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Again, big thanks to Michael Leggy for taking the time to appear on the show. I've been wanting to have him on the show for a while, and we really kind of circled each other on Facebook, trying to make things line up in terms of schedule. I'm really glad that it happened. And we're going to have him on the show again in the future to talk about a very specific movie from the 1930s that I love, that he loves, and I think you're going to love hearing about it. But I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'm a tease. And I want you to come back and keep up to date with everything going on with Monster Kid Radio on our website at monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find links to everything that we talk about here on the show, including a link to Sideshow Cinema's website. You can learn about Dr. Direct there. You can find a link to the Living Dead Horror Con. You can find a link to the Joy Cinema's Indiegogo page. I know I've been playing this promo for a while, and there's still a little time left. You know, I got to tell you, the Joy Cinema, one of my favorite theaters in this area, one of my favorite theaters, period. I love going here for Weird Wednesday. I love going here to support the Joy. And you know what? If you can support the Joy at $25 on their Indiegogo page, you can get your hands on a copy of the fantastic Argo Man from 1967. We talked about Argo Man here on the show in the past. I love this movie. This is one of my favorite European films. It's a European super spy superhero movie by way of the Batman TV show, but it's kind of sexed up because it's European and it's got Roger Brown, who's just smooth as all get out. I mean, this is a fantastic film, so much so that when the Dorado Films podcast launches, probably later this month, we're talking about this movie and we have an interview with Roger Brown again. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But back to the joy. You really want to support this theater. You want to support any independent theater that you can. And the joy is one of the best. Back to our website, monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find our contact information. You can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can drop us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. We also have a place for you to sign up for the Monster Rally Checkpoint monthly e-newsletter. Near the end of the month, I put out a new release of this newsletter with exclusive content. Monster movie trivia questions, a column that I call The Creature Connection, and if you know what my favorite movie is, I think you can probably guess what that's about. It's fun for me to write, and I hope it's fun for you guys and gals to read. Now, if you're a patron at the Toho level or higher through our Patreon page, well... 
you actually get that Monster Rally Checkpoint newsletter a little earlier than anybody else. Speaking of our Patreon page, big thanks to everybody who supported us last month and who's been continuing to support us ever since we relaunched and refocused our Patreon page. I'll be sending some emails out to people who have pledged at the universal level or higher because once you are a universal level patron for three consecutive months... You get to pick a Monster Kid-related topic for us to talk about here on Monster Kid Radio. So patrons at this level or higher that have been here for three months, expect a message from me soon. So that does bring us to the very, very end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Again, thanks for hanging with us. This time around, we'll be back here in a couple of days. And again, thanks to Mr. Neutron for letting us play their music. Remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Super Constellation. That's from the album Red Triangle from the band Mr. Neutron. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with her permission. Look them up on Facebook or buy their album on Amazon. Talk to everybody here in a couple of days when we have Michael Letchy back to talk Poverty Row Horror Films. (laughs) 